Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. Today's episode we have on is our buddy Ennis. Uh, he works over at Ale Smith Brewing Company. His job is basically to get Ale Smith into new states and new markets. And uh, we had a fantastic conversation with him today about Ale Smith, all the beers that they do, uh, what it's like getting beers around the country. Uh, talked a lot about his history. We also talked a lot about uh, what it's like coming from uh, former Yugoslavia and you know adjusting to America, where then where he later grew up in Tucson and then moving up to Phoenix. Uh, super cool guy. So we had a fantastic time, had a lot of laughs, learned a bunch from him, learned a bunch about Ale Smith and all the great stuff that they do, not just with beer, but their charities and the organizations that they're a part of. So we hope you guys enjoy today's podcast. Um, we have a lot more coming up. Uh, should be a really fun year. We hope 2023 is you know much better for all of us, even though it's been starting off kind of wild right out of the beginning. Uh, even possibly looking at doing uh, an additional podcast, um, kind of talking about you know the history of alcohol and uh, some like really unique incidences with alcohol. So uh, yeah, stay tuned. We have a lot coming up, and uh, it's going to be a great year for everybody here at Rift and Spilling the Truth. Take care, guys. Enjoy the show. I mean, we're recording right now. <laughs> so nobody heard that we were just basically calling you ugly. Uh, would be the first time, actually. <laughs> that is, that's, such a, that's such a weird compliment and insult is the you have a face for radio. Because it's definitely directed insult, and at the same time, if you have like a crazy unique voice, it's really good. Like, uh, there's that one guy that comes in who has that radio voice, the really deep "Hello, I'll take that beer." But if you're handsome and you have that voice, then you'd be like a TV announcer. You'd be like a newscaster. It's, it's still, it's still an insult because it just means you're not handsome enough to be on TV. I mean, if you yeah. look at some of the greatest radio people, they're ugly as fuck. I mean, look at Howard Stern. <laughs> I think I've only seen <laughs> Howard Stern. Like, how many times do you think you've ever listened to? Like all the radio people you've ever listened to, podcast people, whoever, and have actually seen their face. Because I can think of like maybe a handful. So growing up in New York, Howard Stern had a like his radio show was on TV at night and he had like a variety show that he would show. And it was raunchy, like it'd be like being kicked off the air and put back on the air. And it was like his show goes for like maybe like what, six hours during the day or five hours. Two of those hours was always on TV that you could actually watch it on like Saturday nights. And that's when they had like the Sausage Queen and some of his famous skits over the years. Interesting. I didn't know that. I don't know. Yeah, he had his own. I, I think I knew he had his own radio show, but I didn't realize it was like like a basic radio show. Oh, that's well. He, he just did nothing but radio forever. It's weird. That completely. It's kind of like the Joe Rogan thing. Like it died the second he went to uh, Sirius XM and he got paid. Uh, half a billion dollars or something ludicrous probably or no that was the joe rogan one. i don't know why he got paid but it was hundreds of millions of dollars and then the second he went to sirius xm i don't remember if i've ever listened to a show ever again beyond it being on like you know when they have the tv whether it's e-entertainment or whoever i don't even know if e-entertainment exists anymore i don't think i know a single person in real life that pays for a serious subscription are you serious <laughs> i'm serious the only time i've ever super serial the only time i've ever used it was because it came free on a new car purchase it's kind of like an Apple TV subscription. I have it free for a year, and the second it was about to be paid, I'm like, I don't watch any of this. I disagree. I pay for that because Ted Lasso is the best show on any streaming service right now. But <laughs> you cannot pay for it, and the second it comes back, you just redo your subscription. Well, I'm not done with it yet, so I'm paying for it. Have you not watched it? I binged it out. It's the only show I ever watched in one day. Uh, I watched all 10 episodes. It actually took some convincing on Samantha's part, which is funny because she's not into sports, and I am spent time in Germany. I was born in Europe. And the show revolves around soccer, and she had to convince me to like give it a go. 
I love that show. I think it's absolutely fantastic. I think the cool thing about it is that, you know, the amount of people that love that show and have gotten into soccer, like I think America's in the infancy of soccer right now. Like, you know, our team is always garbage. And then every now and then they pop up and have somebody good. And then like all of a sudden Ted Lasso comes along and granted, it's obviously in England. Well, people are watching the shit out of it. It's probably one of the most popular shows out there. And it has a lot of like American charm. Never seen it. You haven't watched a single episode of Ted Lasso? Nope. Speaking of Is that like BoJack Horseman? I've never seen that one either. I've never seen that. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of U.S. and soccer, though, uh, the team just played yesterday, and they tied. I feel like every time the World Cup comes on, people remember that soccer exists in this country. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, like I said, growing. You see MLS on TV a lot. We used to have the Phoenix Rising right here, so we go to every single game. But yeah, for the most part... The other thing was though is we had you know we had a small crowd of people watching and they were thoroughly annoyed though because they were like this is why people don't watch soccer because nobody scored fast and at the end of the game everybody was like laying down and flopping and I'm like I don't think it's probably the same thing with basketball with the amount of fake fouls that are done. I enjoy it. I mean, it's one of the greatest acting extravaganzas you can see is watching a soccer game. That's true. They really should give awards out at the end of the year like Razzies, but for soccer, where it's like, oh, this is like flop of the year goes to probably some Brazilian. And the fact that all they do is come up with some cold-ass spray and spray it on somebody that has a broken leg and then they just get up and keep running, they don't use that in any other sport. You know, I'm not sure I agree with the direction of this conversation being that I'm from Bosnia and this is basically our national sport. <laughs> you guys D- are trashing. That's that's a lie because that country isn't even around. Is it around? Bosnia is so, still around. Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia doesn't nice. have a soccer team anymore. Are, Let's say where you're originally from. You know, I'm actually glad you brought that up because if Yugoslavia was still one country and we fielded a soccer team, we would probably do quite well in the uh, World Cup. Our, in, in what way? You have Croatia fa- almost won it last year, and that is one-third of former Yugoslavia. Now, if you put all three of those countries together, we could absolutely feel And they're all cousins anyway. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, so does Bosnia have a team in the World Cup this year? They do not. They actually almost, they almost made it by uh, some... Unfortunate circumstances, uh, they just barely missed the cut. So I'm, rooting, I'm rooting for Croatia because that is part of former Yugoslavia. Is North Macedonia part of former Yugoslavia? No. Okay, because I was like, they kicked Italy out of the World <laughs> Cup, and that was amazing. That was uh, quite a shock. Yeah. I, that that going back to that spray thing, it is like the greatest miracle thing ever. And I know everybody jokes about it, but I'd love to know what it is. But the thing that I always love is in American sports, you get hurt. They roll an ambulance and a cart out, and they like treat you well. They just run out with a plastic board and soccer and throw people on, and four dudes are just running, carrying you, flopping you around to the sideline because they know you're probably not hurt. Yep, it's so true. Every time someone's rolling on the ground, here comes four little dudes with a little gurney. <laughs> like, do we have to take the dead body off? Yeah, they don't even strap them down. They throw them on, and they're like holding their face they look like an old renaissance painting all dramatic like one arm off one thing holding their face and like crying and the second they get to the sideline they're like sitting there jogging like we're good (laughs) but but imagine like watching like a baseball game and the guy got like you know accidentally hit in the nuts and the guy just runs up with the spray and sprays it on he's like i'm good now yeah it's it's really i don't blame the players i blame fifa for a lot of different things but especially the uh (laughs) <laughs> the acting that happens in the uh, professional leagues. Dude, I think everybody can blame FIFA for everything <laughs> right now. Oh, it yeah. is insane. I was hung over the other day. I blame FIFA. <laughs> yeah. Bad sales? FIFA. Thanks, yep. FIFA. Got yeah. my, there's, I have low air in my tire in my car. FIFA's fault. I stubbed my toe the other night. Fuck them. Dude, Fuck I'm going to I'm gonna run for politics, and then it'll be like, what's your stance? Fuck FIFA. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, vote that guy in. But I promise you, I will not be as corrupt as FIFA. Guaranteed getting in. That might work anywhere outside of the U.S., actually. That's true. Nobody gives a shit. It's always Sepp Blatter's fault. 
If you if you ran on a platform of abolishing HOAs in the U.S., then you might have a. <laughs> Did you say <laughs> Sepp Blatter? Was... That's his name. Uh, no, he doesn't exist anymore. I thought. What? Sepp Blatter? Well, like, okay, so the I new think he exists. The new FIFA guy has the most infantile name <laughs> ever. It's like it's Italian. It's Giancarlo, like cries a lot or something. But it's stupid. not. It's, it, it's like Infantito or something. Like yeah, that. Infantito. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Literally, you couldn't have had a basic like child's villain come up. <laughs> But uh, Seth Blatter is still alive. There's a new Netflix special about FIFA, and uh, they interview him, and he's like 80 years old, and he talks about, he's like, yeah, you know, uh, from I, was, his, I, I was innocent. It wasn't From me. his monstrous mansion in somewhere up in the mountains, probably in Switzerland. Yeah, sounds about right. God, I love that country. You know, it's so funny. I, uh, I like, had prepped all this, like, Ailsmith info and all these things, and we've kicked off the podcast talking about soccer and uh, FIFA. And Dude, I haven't it's even so introduced funny. you yet. I, I we're already, we're barely... I know, it's so funny. It's ten oh. minutes in. We're trying to figure out how long it takes before I actually drop your name. One of the trivia categories last night was, of course, FIFA, or soccer, international. Oh, yeah. Foot, you mean football? Football, yes. During uh, during the World Cup, everybody calls it football. And not hand egg. <laughs> <laughs> I like that name, actually. Hand egg. <laughs> That's the American version. How the fuck did America come up with soccer? It doesn't make sense. Because soccer was around before football, American football, was done. So why why change? Like... That doesn't make sense to me. It's not like we because had football and somebody's like, oh, that's also football. Because we love pissing people off. Do you know who invented soccer? The Braz- uh, English? Nope. Scottish? Nope. Irish. Oh God. I'm actually afraid of the answer. 20, 2,500 years ago. I was going to go probably Aztecs <laughs> kicking heads into a hole. China. <laughs> I knew China. I knew, yep. I knew this is a story he's going to tell. No, it's true. Because, well, we, we were looking up the questions for trivia, trying to find good questions. And sure as hell, the first official soccer game ever was in China. And what, what was the ball? Probably a, a head. Rock. <laughs> <laughs> some some emperor's like, yeah, take that guy's head off, and it, it was sitting was. next to him, and he probably just kicked it away. It rolled down some steps, went into something. And he goes, that could be a fun and game. Everybody yelled goal, and he's like, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do this again. I wonder what the word for Chinese is, is goal. I want to hear that announcing when like actually China scores. No one will ever be a Hispanic announcer. I'm sorry, they're the best. Really <laughs> they are the best. Down. That yeah. is. If they could announce most reality shows, I feel like I might actually. Dude, be I want that guy movie. to announce like the birth of my child. Coming out of the hall, he scores. It's a Totally, dude. I love that. Honestly, nothing even compares to the chance of English people. Like uh, when we were watching the uh, America's game yesterday against Wales, America's chants were so bad. They were just like, "You clap." Ass clap and like you it's, know def- like dumb shit versus the English they, people will like find that you got a DUI had an illegitimate child and then make a song about it just so you hear it the entire time. I'm convinced that the chants were bad because they banned beer in the stadium. Apparently, Anheuser Busch had a whole warehouse ready to go. Eighty eighty-five million dollars worth and, of Budweiser. And then they banned right beer sales. So at that the costs stadium. sixty dollars of beer, <laughs> which <laughs> is <Yeah. laughs> so. So you know they banned it the day before. Yep. Literally, yeah, I know. It's it's. They crazy also they became. They also said you can't wear the rainbow stuff. They seized all the other things, dude. This is the craziest. This is the most a World Cup has ever hit that I genuinely, actually, didn't really care. So, I get hyped about it, and this was like, ugh. I'm very conflicted because I love soccer. It's basically my blood from where I'm from. But at the same time, I thought it was radioactive chemicals. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever they drop, whatever nation the UN nation dropped on you guys. At the same time, it's really hard to ignore, uh, you know, some of the corruption and the human rights abuses that are going on uh, as a result of it. But it was because it was so astonishingly blatant 
and people were just like what the fuck <laughs> i i think i've seen less blatant like villains in austin powers movies than i have in the FIFA yeah. organization dude fifa makes james bond like specter looks <laughs> like a I'm normal saying. organization like they're they're digging a moat right now around one of the stadiums that and they have uh sharks with lasers on their right, head yes. yeah we, we hired a consultant his name is slobodan milotovic yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh you almost he, got him if i spew beer all over your expensive uh podcast and i know i totally butchered his name entirely but... your fault love it on the I forgot that. Is that guy even still alive in no, the no, jail? No, he's dead. Yeah, they draw and quartered him, and he's in different parts of the world now. Yeah. Damn. That, that's why that other that's guy. Uh, remember that remember that video we watched of the guy who literally drank poison on the stand? Like that's. <laughs> Are you talking? You talking about the guy from Arizona? <laughs> no. <laughs> this was like a. I digress, but this is like a crazy court. I, I'm pretty sure we watched the video here, right, right at Rift, and uh, he was like a. a Serbian something like general and he was being accused of all these war crimes and he he basically said I do not agree with this and he drank poison on the stand and like within hours he was dead that's crazy that happens like did he take, was it cyanide he took yes it was oh, we watched the video that. here Dude, how the fuck do people just get cyanide like I've seen there was the guy from it, Arizona Amazon, Amazon. A, in Eastern probably. Europe my friend oh yeah <laughs> honestly you could probably just drink a uh, it's, fucked yeah. up vodka it's, 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 a, it's a gumball machine over there uh, <laughs> listen my friend just uh, take the drink problem goes away for, for 1000 rubles <laughs> Is that what uh, Bosnia uses? Is ruble? No. <laughs> what was Bosnian money? Uh, I mean, right now they're. I think Goats? they're basically pr- they're basically transitioned to the euro. Uh, the last time I was there, which is gosh, over well over a decade ago, um, I was still able to use Bosnian marks, which were not Deutsche marks. I found out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and euros, but they were vastly different values. So depending on uh, which part. You still have family out there? Oh, yeah. Uh, my parents still have property back home, and uh, they go back for usually a couple months out of the year. Okay. Have you sent them any Ale Smith beers yet? You know, it's funny. Uh, we do we do ship internationally to several countries. Bosnia or Eastern Europe is not on that list yet. <laughs> they um, don't have a refined enough palate. I, I think if we if we ever find a way to do a vodka barrel aged beer, <laughs> oh, it might be a possibility. We just box up a Christmas gift for them. Maybe a, like a Schlibovitz barrel. Ooh. Oh God, I cannot believe you said that. My there uncle is... always drank Schlibovitz in the little. What the like circular bottle, and every time he'd take a shot, he'd just sit and go, Schlibovitz. Dad has a bottle at his house. Yeah, he does. It's crazy because there's such a large spectrum. There's really good Schlibovitz, there's really bad Schlibovitz. Oh, so it's a type of liquor. It's it's, it's not a brand. It, no, it's like backyard aged plum, like wine. plum moonshine. Yeah. I thought and it was with, motor oil that made cars <laughs> run. So there's, I've had really good Schlibovitz, and I've had terrible Schlibovitz, but I've also seen, you know, that saying where like uh, necessity like is the mother of all invention. I've seen people in the backcountry of Bosnia aging plum moonshine in a hollowed out tree stump that they covered <laughs> to simulate a barrel that you would see in like a distillery. And it was, I thought it was ingenious. You hear that, all you brewers out there? <laughs> Turns out you can just cut a tree down I and thought pour it was booze into it. Absolutely genius. And I think it just goes to show that human ingenuity has no bounds as long as it's absolutely necessary. My neighbor in New York used to make fermented dandelion. He called it dandelion wine. He was from Poland. I don't know what the hell it was, but it would fuck you up. I, I you know, I never miss an opportunity for an alliteration, and dandelion distillate would have been what I would have gone with. <laughs> Yes, because Bosnia, known for those famous inventors all across <laughs> Europe with their booze. 
Hey, you know what though? Give it time. America will find a way to market that shit, and you will have like instead of mezcal bars and tequila bars, you'll have Shlivovich bars, and everybody can wear a track suit and gold chain and show up in a. Could be Udo. the next thing. I mean, mezcal went through its popularity. That still is. That was one of those things that people considered kind of like rock gut, like. Dude, I remember every time I we would have uh, mezcal in college, it was always like, "Is the worm at the bottom of it? Has anybody had it yet?" And it was the worst thing you ever drank in your life. Some of these countries have some crazy shit. My friend came back from China once with some liquor that had a full snake in it. It wrapped all around the bottle, coming all the way up. The tail was on the bottom. The head was towards the top, and it was hard liquor sealed up with a snake in the bottle. I guarantee you, that's not the and craziest thing that they drink. We, over there. <laughs> yeah, I was just, bro. We opened that up finally one night. We were wasted. We finally had the balls Snakes to open alive. it. It was like scales in the freaking. Uh, so it was nasty. Dude, were you here when I opened up that Chinese bottle that's on the wall? The one with the boat in it? No. Oh, my God. It was, it was rice liquor. And it was the the second you opened the bottle, the smell was so pungent. I think Brandy would have thought dead body smell banner. Was it like Baiju or? Dude, or, or I couldn't what, what tell you. It? I bought it out of a shop because the bottle was absolutely beautiful. But they're like, yeah, it's a rice liquor. And we drank it like, you know, like 15 years later. And, dude, it was that that probably I probably lost at least like a couple teeth. <laughs> that shit is poison. <laughs> It is amazing, though, you know, all things considered with how much everybody makes beer, wine, spirits, all this stuff that like there's an unlimited supply of it around the world. <laughs> I mean, when you think back to it, like I feel like a big part of the and I, I hate to get philosophical here. A big part of the agriculture boom was probably in large part due to growing grains to distill into booze. Right. Well, also, you nailed it earlier. What the necessity thing is a mother if you of all only have dandelions and you're going to find a way to ferment them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do prisoners take packets of ketchup, man? <laughs> I mean, look at what else they got. Potatoes. Look at potatoes. I remember one time. This is a funny anecdote. <laughs> I love the Eastern European jokes. <laughs> do I eat potato or I, ferment potato? I, I, well, I one time told my mom I did not like potatoes and. That was one of the first times I'd seen her genuinely upset with me because <laughs> he's like kicked out of the country. He's, they're actually mad because he mentioned potatoes and Politoboro sees potato and no longer allowed to have potato. But honestly, in my adult life now, I love potatoes in all forms, whether they're fermented or cooked or fried. But I think that was one of the first times that I, as a young person, offended my mother officially was telling her I didn't like potatoes. That was like a that was like insulting our national vegetable. Yeah, I can say this because my mom doesn't listen to my, my podcast at all, but my mom's uh, <laughs> tomato sauce for all of the pasta I grew up with was terrible. <laughs> I'm clipping this and sending it to her. Be my God. No, it was uh, it's sweet. And then like once I had like real pasta sauce, I was like, what the fuck? So she sent me a recipe like, all right, you take this, you do this, you do this. And you had like a pound of sugar. And I was like, oh, that's why yeah. it's like that. You know, it's common in bolognese sauce is lots of sugar. Yeah. But I don't Stop. think to the level that, that they do. Oh, yeah. yeah really? it's sugar is common. And Bro, this is America. Yeah. We put sugar Dude, in it's milk. Bread. Yeah, but bolognese is not an American dish. And dude, I give it time, man. I to believe that Italians are putting... A bunch of sugar in their bowl. Actually, dude, all Italian food that based off pasta has to be in American because tomatoes are were only in America. Tomatoes, there was no such thing as red sauce in Italy. Tomatoes were introduced America. in like the 17th century to Italy. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I have I have read that. Um, but it's funny because if you look at Italian food regionally now, like Southern Italy is very much looked at as like a red red sauce heavy. I would wouldn't it region? be more Mediterranean like oils and whites? 
well, fish, olive oil. Olive oil is crazy out there. It's like it's like Florida. <laughs> they live longer than most people too. Maybe there's it's something, not, maybe there's something I, to it, that. If Italy's like Florida, that is some shit going on. <laughs> that America, is actually funny. If Italy's considered the Florida of Europe, it, it, oh god, Damien, oh yeah. Gonna, when you, you read the articles here, it's like oh Florida man did this, Florida man that. In Italy or in Europe, it's like oh Italian man did this, Italian man fair. did that. Damien yeah. is on a mission to offend as many people as possible during during this podcast. Subtly, <laughs> subtly. <laughs> so, for all of you Italians in Florida who don't know what subtle is, it means lightly. <laughs> if, if you look at Italy, it is technically the size of Florida and Georgia. It's the same kind of a weird shape in a way, and it's very coastal. So the cuisine is a lot of fish, a lot of Mediterranean influence, lots of olive oils, lots of fresh vegetables. Uh, you, as far as like pastas, pastas are all over the place, and they all depend on the region. We were talking about it the other day in uh, northern Italy, around the area of like Barolo. They use egg whites to fine a lot of their wines. You drop egg whites in your barrel, and as the egg whites come down, it grabs all the particulates and it filters your wine. What? So you don't yeah. have to put it. In I've a, never heard that. So you don't put it in a centrifuge or a paper filter. It's a subtle way of filtering your wine and making it a little softer. A lot of people in America do that. In those regions of Italy, in which they use a ton of egg whites to filter their wine, their pasta is made with all egg yolk. You look at those regions, those wine regions that have egg white. They use a lot of egg whites. The pasta is bright yellow because it's egg yolk pasta. All of the vegans in the world just collectively sighed. That's why. Have you heard of vegan wine? I have. One of the reasons why they say vegan wine is well, the two main reasons are because of the filtering process. It's either egg whites or uh, fish I- guts, icing glass. So it's funny, actually. Not, not that you White, guys mentioned that. Fish, I have fish guts. bladder. I have yeah. fish bladder. Dried fish bladders. That. That's so funny. Well, you guys don't use fish bladder in your beer. So Bosnia only has about two kilometers of coastline, so not a lot of access to. Do, fish. Oh, that's right. Didn't <laughs> they straight state they told they took? If you look at was it Croatia has basically like a seven, but like reversed, and they took all your coastal land. I mean, kind of a big fat <laughs> fuck you. We like Croatia though, so we're not going to get into that. <laughs> so Ennis from Alesmith right. on the show today. I wonder how many people are actually Googling where these countries are on a map right now. <laughs> Dude, so wait, how many countries did Yugoslavia break up into? Four? Three? No, three official countries, but there are regions within those countries. So you have like Serbia and Montenegro. You have Bosnia and Herzegovina. You have... Um, I knew these from when I grew up in... Like when I was in high school, we had to do yeah. a map. And there was like a rhyme to the Bosnia Herzegovina. And yeah. uh, I... I, I don't want to offend anybody on like Damien, so I don't want to get too into the details of the geography there because I'm sure I'm going to misspeak at some point, especially after we continue. And just to wait drink ten beers. years, it'll change again. <laughs> exactly. God, Damien, it's Europe, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. Honest question. <laughs> I mean, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm... it's going to be the nation of Slav. <laughs> Their my... national animal is somebody squatting. They're my people. <laughs> Remember, my family's from Czechoslovakia, which doesn't exist either anymore. <laughs> you, you, at least have, you at least have Slav in your name. Yes. <laughs> you know, but I have Slav in my heart. <laughs> Do you see my tan? There is a lot of Slav in these in these veins. This oh. man cooks great potatoes, I'm telling you. <laughs> my pierogi are... Gotta love it. All right, so uh, you are with a brewery that we've heard of once or twice. What's uh, it just, called? Just a couple times. So uh, I work for Alesmith Brewing. We've been around since 95. Uh, and uh, we're just really thrilled to be here. 1995. 1995. Uh, our first GABF gold medal came in 98, which is coincidentally the same year that I moved to this country. <laughs> so it was really it was meant, meant to be. Uh, how many states is Ailsmith in, approximately? Ooh, gosh, that was one of the things I did not cover. Uh, we ship uh, to, into quite a few states across the country. Uh, 
You could have lied. Off the top Nobody would have known. Uh, <laughs> the bosses have been like, what the fuck? <laughs> they might. Uh, no, I, I believe we are in between 15 to 20 states uh, and roughly, I think, five to seven countries. Um, oh, shit. We do ship internationally. Uh, mostly our, our dark stuff, our Speedway Stout, our Nut Browns, uh, things like that, our barrel-aged beers, they travel really well and uh, they, they get better with time. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. We've been around since 95. We've moved into a giant facility, and we ship beer all across the the globe. But we're still a, a pretty tiny brewery. What um, are what are considered. some of the big export markets that you're sending to? Are you sending to China? Or I'm trying to figure out who's drinking yeah, these big so ass stouts. We uh we send to it's funny we send to Canada yeah. and Mexico, which very much are almost like domestic markets for us because we can ship a truck there. <laughs> uh, we also ship to uh, South Korea, Japan, China. Um, I believe India as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I'm, I'm sure we're always looking to expand. So. No shit. It's but. weird when you hear that. Yeah, because, you know, you think Alesmith and being from Arizona, you're like, oh, these guys aren't probably too big or too crazy or anything like that. And then all of a sudden you're like, nope, just kidding. India, China, Japan, and most of the U.S. I mean, I think it's deceptive, right? Because even before I worked for the brewery, I thought it was like this giant brewery because we have a you know 100,000 square foot facility, a 50,000 barrel a year capacity. But ultimately, that was really uh, forward thinking on Peter and Vicky's part, the owners. Uh, they really didn't want to have to move again. Um, so they they were, they looked forward, and they're really in this for the long haul. So we have a giant facility. We, we've been around for a long time. Um, so it feels like we're this big, giant brewery. We, we oftentimes get grouped in with you know the big guys like Sierra Nevada and, and Firestone and New Belgium and, and what have you. But we're really much, much tinier than those guys. Is there um, any story behind the name? <clears throat> um, you know, I think the name really just pays homage to the fact that when the brewery started we started in a, a little single commercial unit in 95 all the beers to this day are still you know hand forged um peter who doesn't necessarily have a lot of a big hand in the actual brewing process still very much oversees quality um he just recently um became a level two bjcp judge and if you guys don't know what that is uh there's very few of those across the country it's kind of like a yeah what, what does it stand for and what is it it's like a God, I, I couldn't begin to tell you what the uh, what the acronym stands for, but it's essentially like a, a Belgian beer standards judge, and these are the guys that judge a lot of the um, the big beer competitions all around the country. And once you get to level two, there's like I said, very few of those guys in the entire country. And, and Peter um, has has been a, a level one judge for quite some time, and uh, becoming a level two judge, I think it just gives him a bit more of that uh, that insight into how to improve our quality and 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 all that is this the same brewer from day one so in 95 when we started we actually uh had different ownership um peter and vicky took over in 2002 um and have you know had the brewery since then um the original owner is actually still very much good friends uh he was at the brewery i think in the last year or so doing like a collaboration brew with peter um but peter and vicky didn't did not take over until 2002 which is a couple years right after we won our first medal with uh with horny devil which Coincidentally, is actually going to be making its uh, return to Arizona after a very long absence uh, this February. What is it? Horny Devil. It's uh, it's our first gold medal winning beer at yeah. Great American Beer Festival back in 98. And it is a 10% uh, Belgian golden slash strong ale uh, with coriander. So it's a, it's a, just a big Belgian beer. And it's the first thing that ever kind of uh, put Ailsmith on the map. So there's a reason why Ailsmith likes to get people really wasted. Um, <laughs> uh, God, I don't I'm not sure how I should answer that, that one. Honestly, <laughs> actually, this is a good point. Have we ever had a light beer from Ale Smith? You know, we, we actually we do make a Mexican lager. I don't think you guys have reported here, but that that's quite all right. <laughs> but even, it seems like your stouts typically are very. 
I mean, um, party friendly. They are party friendly. Um, I think it's just, and honestly, I my favorite beers that that we make personally. The beer that originally made me fall in love with the brewery was a stout. But what I, my go to from the brewery is honestly is is our hoppy category. Um, but I think there's just a, a form or a, a level of finesse and art that comes to barrel age programs, and I think that is what kind of really inspired uh, Peter and Vicky originally and uh, continues to kind of be our bread and butter. Uh, it's not a, a big part of our production, but it's something that really endears us to the beer community as a whole. And um, it's something that everybody that works for the company loves drinking. Are you guys buying used barrels from distilleries mostly? Are you buying new barrels? It's it's a mix, really. Um, it depends. Like one of the beers you guys have on tonight, uh, the... Uh, Praline Speedway that is aged in exclusively Willet barrels. So we we purchased those uh, barrels, uh, I believe, from Willet uh, Distillery. Um, a lot of our other stouts are kind of aged in a blend of different barrels, but they're typically all predominantly they're all used bourbon barrels. That's got to get. I mean, or, there's got to be barrels. a point in time that's coming where you know now that these whiskey and bourbon distilleries have such crazy names that you can just kind of tag the name of the barrel towards the beer you can be like oh ale smith blanton's barrel age and people would lose their mind uh, grabbing something like that a hundred percent uh the only issue with that is that it's becoming increasingly harder and harder to get some barrels because yeah. you're starting to see tequila aged in barrels you're starting to in bourbon barrels you're starting to see all of these different used to, I'm, I'm starting to see wine aged in, in bourbon barrels yeah which is terrible we've had that we've <laughs> had that talk a hundred times that is a fad that's gonna die but uh, i mean especially no, when, when, you, when you're looking at things like willet <laughs> it won't but uh when you look at things like willet or buffalo trace distillery some of those bourbons are aged for 10 years so like there's really only a certain amount of those barrels available and the, the more of a demand there is for those barrels the harder they are to get so it's, it's a it's an increasing challenge and sometimes an uphill battle to to kind of get what we want to, to age our beer in. So I wonder where, like, the Pappy barrels end up, or, like, if you have, like, a 30-year Laphroaig barrel, uh, like, where those things kind of end up and where they get done. You know, I've never... Have you ever seen anything with Scotch barrels, though, ever? Like, uh, Scotland I've seen it barrels. once. One time. Uh, and it was very potent. Yeah. It was very, I, I very could, potent. I, and it was an Islay barrel, too. Oh. Yeah. Is it really peaty? It, it was iodiney. And I'm a big fan of it, Salty? but it killed the smokiness. No, dude, like hospital bed. I actually, I don't. It, it, it lost a lot of the character that I. So I like Islay scotches a lot. Like, uh, like he gave me a Lafroy 18. Is still to this day one of my favorite scotches. <sighs> I like Goybet or Arbet, but those smoky, little bit of iodine and the sea. Like honestly, it's like sea air. Like it hits. This was just straight. Like it just had the iodine characteristic to it. It's pretty terrible. Huh. I do not like peaty, peaty scotch. I don't like peat in my. My beers. Uh, do you so like mezcal? Do you like smoky stuff? I. Or are you so used to so much fire and bombing around you that you no longer it's PTSD of smoke? <laughs> I should be offended at that, but I'm not because it's you. <laughs> um, no, I actually I've been very fortunate to try some really high end mezcals, um, and I like I like some of them, but there has to be balance to it. I think anytime there's too much peat for me, it just kind of overpowers my palate, and I can't taste anything but the smoke, and it, yeah. and it, it does. Uh, trigger me a little bit with uh yeah. <laughs> i'm just kidding so then what is your choice of liquor beyond Slivovich? um i so it's funny he doesn't like potatoes we already know this so he doesn't like vodka samantha my lovely girlfriend is a wine som and it really depends on what we're doing uh, if we're just having drinks we're oftentimes drinking west coast ipas i particularly love hoppy lagers or bourbon 
You mean cold IPAs? <laughs> cold IPAs. <laughs> Some marketing person got paid a lot of money for that. Oh, damn. Um, and then got fired a week later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, that, that, that depends on how much they sold. This right. is brilliant. Well, we can't sell it. You're but, fired. Uh, honestly, I love wine and food pairings. Uh, I love aperitifs after dinner. I love. Um, I just think there's a time and place for, for food and beverage, kind of depending on what you're doing. Um, so it just really depends. It's true. I mean, it's it's... It's interesting the different styles of drinking for people. For me, I'm a big wine and food person. It's rare when I just have a glass of wine. Like if I'm going somewhere, Same. I'll have like sparkling. If him and I are sitting down with friends that we are wine people, we open up a white or sparkling and then the reds break out. But like for me, like a cocktail is like I've never made a cocktail once in my entire life at home. It's strictly somebody else has to do it. And it's got to be at a bar and whatever. And then if dinner hits, I switch over to wine. But beer is the weird one. Beer is like, dude, I'll drink beer anytime, any day, except for like, stouts somebody's got to kind of give me one to try and then when i have them they're some of the best damn beer i've ever had i'm not i'm not that stout drinking guy yeah i think i just also like especially if i'm just having a drink and not pairing with food i unless it's very cold or i'm really looking to get rowdy it's hard for me to drink a lot of stouts because i i like drinking multiple beers so um i think that's kind of why i'm a hoppy lager drinker at heart because i can have multiple and uh yeah. drink socially without uh embarrassing myself <laughs> Yet, I mean, that's the, <laughs> yet. That, that is the one problem I have here. with the high ABV stuff. Is I think a lot of us, we're, I think all three of us are in the same category. We enjoy having drinks with our friends, and we enjoy having drinks with our friends over a six-hour time period. And if I start drinking high alcohol liquors, if I start drinking high alcohol beers, I'm not making it six hours. I will say though that um, while Samantha's out of town, I had there's probably two or three nights where I had a Vietnamese barrel aged Speedway Stout along with a bowl of ice cream and. It might have been one of my favorite beer and see that's actually like a, dude that's a that's phenomenal. a great pairing actually like ice cream and stout sounds yes. amazing fat boy living in a skinny body oh. over here <laughs> or or drinking a stout on a cold night around a fire like that that is my but, ideal kind of way to consume stouts and I was just in Ohio and Kentucky recently and it was it was really cold out there and let me tell you sixty percent of the tap list everywhere I went were all big early stouts and it made sense out there because i was bundled up and i need something to keep me warm so it's it, it but the key to that is it's got to be outside like for us you know and we've had this we've said this a million times you know july we sell a lot of stouts you walk out from 115 degree weather into a 70 it's weird where 75 degrees in summertime is freezing but in wintertime it's warm <laughs> like they come in up and they're like oh i need something kind of big so like we don't get that out here outside unless you're up on the rim yeah and the weird thing to me with stouts it's it's still not as high as alcohol as most red wines. You know, somebody comes in and gets a 10-ounce pour of the the Speedway. What's that, like 11 12%? 12%. It's still a little less, granted, like a wine pour. For the most part, it's a lot less. But, you know, wine's still 14 13 yeah. 15 16%, depending on if you're drinking a Zinner Cab. But yet it still comes off thinner, lighter, and easier than if you drink a 12% stout. That's because it is, because the body of uh, a... Even a cab or like a really jammy Syrah is still leaps and bounds thinner than a big burly stout. It's true. It's like that we had one one time and I love it. It's a uh, I, I looked at him one time. It was like it's the laminar effect where the liquid pours out at such a pace that it looks like it's not moving. So it looks like it's like glass or it's fake. I'll show you a video of it later. And we had a stout that was so thick it like you'd pour it and it would just come out. Like almost not syrupy, but close enough. Like to you're it. draining your motor oil. Like draining motor oil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I just noticed Damien was like 
slacking on his beer earlier, and now he's out drinking both of us. And I'm I'm just want to comment on that. All I'm right, so <laughs> Damien's a sipper gulper. I'm a gulper sipper. How many how many party tricks did you have while cooking dinner the other night? Uh, three. Okay, that's it. I took I it easy. <laughs> that's an Alesmith beer, by the way. He was literally yeah. not doing tricks. So, Although Damien might be a magician from time to time. So I typically will drink when I'm having an IPA the first eight ounces in the first sip, and then I do ounce sips after that. But I always am a gulper. I'm like Todd from the Vanilla Gorilla. <laughs> Dude, Todd puts them down I'm in the two same seconds. I, my first, <laughs> when I open a can, I grab it and I tip it back and I drink half the can in the first sip. You know, I'm kind of like that too, especially if it's like the first beer, especially after like a long day. I want to get that first half down because it just it hits the spot. So I, I can relate to that. Are you a fidget person? Like all right, for me, like if I have a can, I constantly crumble the can in my hand as I drink it. So like I'm constantly smashing corners. Maybe I don't just hold it. Like by the time I'm done with my can, it looks like it was completely smashed up. <laughs> no, I actually I spin my phone on the bar top all the time. That's my fidget spinner. I'm doing it right now with Literally, the glass. I will, I will do this. Yeah, constantly. I break corks up into ten thousand pieces and make a mess. <laughs> I'm do sure. I? So all right. So cool. So we all have our weird <laughs> fucking cork. <laughs> so cork true. pun. It's probably I, get along. Yeah. I have I have swirled watering. You know, uh, I swirl everything. But I've been this whole time just twisting this glass around or fidgeting with this thing. Like nobody can ever sit still in any way, shape, right. or form. I'll call people out. They come in and they rip up the coasters. coasters. Oh, I hate. Th- and then they put it in their glass. Like, but dude, don't do that. Some people rip it up to a little pile. They look at me like they're like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's okay. Yeah, I do it too. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. That's, I get that's it. why we're all in this industry because the last time I tried to sit at a single, like in a single seat behind a computer for eight hours, I was wanting to pull my hair out. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing too. Some people that, do. That's why you guys see me come in here and literally use this podcast booth as a meeting room sometimes for for Zoom calls because I just get really bored sitting at home behind the computer. So I will come to places like this and and, and have Dude, meetings on my computer. I think that's why video games and computers do so well because you're constantly moving thumbs and fingers and you're twitching but it's the also whole time. Ruined us because. We've all now become so used to constant stimuli that if I don't have something constantly like stimulating my brain, I get incredibly bored very quickly. That's fair, actually. Yeah, I think our generation and you guys are a little bit older than me, but I think how old are you? I'm 33. I was, I was, well, I was an 89 baby. I'm 36 a few days ago. He's bro. The... It would how how old are you in Bosnian years though? I'm 46. <laughs> Um, but no, but I think despite our age difference, I think we grew up probably in a very similar fashion. Like we both remember dial up. We both, you know, all three of us remember dial up. All three of us remember getting our first broadband connection. Um, but I also think that that ruined us because now I have, now I need constant stimuli to be, to remain, to remain focused. Uh, dude, that younger generation's fuck. Oh, they're all screwed in all of their silly mistakes. I actually think my generation was the last to be very fortunate because I did a lot of dumb things in my late teens and early twenties that weren't recorded. Were not recorded. Yeah, me too. And I feel terrible for like I have I have a niece who is gosh seventeen now, and I feel do you terrible. Have brothers be- and sisters? I do. I am I'm the baby. I have uh, oh, shit. older brother. I have an older brother and older sister, but I have a niece and two nephews who are god below like sub ten years old, and I feel bad for all of them because everything they will do will be recorded. And I could not imagine that pressure because you're you're almost, you're basically like an athlete on a sports team having to have a PR person at that point because depending on what you want to do in life, any of the dumb, silly things that necessarily don't even hurt anybody can come back to bite you in the butt. I do. I will say one thing that I absolutely love, and you know, there's actually a group of people sitting at the bar right now, and uh, you know them. Um, they 
an unfortunate situation happened with them a while ago, and they did what a lot of people do. They sit around, they tell stories. And they add, this happened, and this happened. Can you remember this happened? And I, it's one of my favorite things about a lot of our group of friends is, you know, we sit around. Like, we go to my dad's house, we smoke a cigar, we have some scotch, we drink an old-ass stout, something, and you just tell these stories. You know, I look at some of my cousin stuff. They don't do that. They literally have it recorded on their phone. Remember that time you fucked up? Here, let me show you the video. And the video plays it, and then that's the end of the conversation. You're like, all right, cool. Like, I'd rather you tell me because I want I want to believe you, but I also want to kind of believe it's kind of a lie till it's reinforced by somebody else going, no, I was there. He fucking rode a grocery cart down the mountain. That's a true story, by the way. Well, a, cu- a couple nights ago, we all got together. We cooked dinner together. We had a lot of beer and wine and food and good times. The one person that was on their phone taking pictures and videos the entire time was the youngest person in the room. That's true. He was. He was sitting there the entire Constantly. time on his phone. And, and almost, I, hey, I, I took a picture and posted you making pasta because I was really excited about it. But <laughs> that's but you took a picture, you sent it, you put like this particular person was on. I got all the time. Tw- twenty videos he took, I, I and know. it's it's funny. It's that generation. Yeah. Whereas. The pictures of my childhood or my teenage years, every now and oh, again, all embarrassing. Well, every now and again, a, pic- yeah. a picture <laughs> pops up, and and it means so much to see that little piece of memory because maybe I haven't seen it in twenty years. It's not online. It's not on Instagram. It's not, I'm not tagged in it. So when it does repop up, it gives me all those feelings again. But the ones that are just online all the time. I don't have those same feelings. And because you put that picture up the other day with all of us having dinner at Atlas, that is a great memory because that and it's a grainy picture. There's a couple people who, you know, we haven't seen in a while and whatnot, but it is cool to be like, hey, we saw these things. I have a lot of pictures at home, and I'm sure you definitely do as well, where my mom took them or somebody took them. So they're actual physical pictures. And I pulled them out of the closet because I was looking. This is the tough thing. I was looking for one specific one I wanted to show somebody, and it was a picture. So I ripped out book after book after book after book, and I was going through these things, finding it. But I, it was like an hour and a half later where I just realized I went through my entire child, high school, sort of college area with all these pictures. And the best thing is, is a quarter of them, like, I don't want anybody to see this. But if you ask me, I'm like, hey, let me show you like this really goofy stupid. We were doing this thing. Like, you can't just go on my Facebook or Instagram and be like, oh, I found this bullshit about you. I, I've been meaning to delete my Facebook for a minute. Uh, but I, I'm I'm, I keep getting, I have removed a lot of pictures and I'm getting at the point where I'm like, if I honestly didn't have, if we, weren't doing what we were doing, you for Ale Smith, us for Rift. It's like, I wouldn't use Facebook. I rarely ever make posts uh, anymore. It's really good for, <laughs> for event invites these days. That's I've learned my it. lesson. Yeah. That's really what it's come down to. It's it's so important. And it's not like when, when we were doing, hey guys, uh, you know, Ennis is here. We're going to have that amazing Ale Smith event. We're going to do these beers, blah, blah, blah. It was only Facebook and Instagram and an earlier email in the month that came out for it. Because what else are you going to do? Yeah. They are the de facto town square, but Town Square should not be privately owned. It's a but, town square with a bunch of poop in it, and nobody's <laughs> cleaning up the poop yet. So speaking of friends, uh, Alesmith seems to be doing a lot of collabs recently. We are, uh, and we're looking to do a lot more, actually. Um, Have this, has it been this way, or is this something that's kind of new for you guys? So we ha- we're we really fortunate that, bec- again, because we have such a large space, we actually have a small, like, 20-barrel system, which I say small because it's actually not that small. Uh, if you brew a bunch of half barrels on a 20 barrel system, you're getting, you know, between 30 and 38 half barrels of beer. Um, but in, in brewery terms, it, it's relatively small. Uh, we've had the system for quite a while and we've done, that's usually where we do a lot of our, our tap room releases. And when I first joined Alesmith um, and Joshua, who is the VP, um, he kind of felt the same way. I really wanted to bring some of those things to, to Arizona and to some of the other states that we do business in because I think we make great beers year round, but I also think we make great collaborations. We make great 
seasonal releases. We make great limited releases. And uh, one of the big things I wanted to do was to, to bring some of those outside of the tap room. So um, it's kind of recent that we've been doing more of this. We've done some like big national collaborations. Uh, but for next year, I'm actually talking to a few breweries to do like market specific collaborations. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not sure who's gonna be listening, but uh, you know I've had some chats. Everybody, I've had some chats with like Goldwater and Renthouse, which I'm really excited about for next year. Um, and we'll actually be releasing a a Telluride collab in Arizona next year as well. That's it's, awesome. I mean, um, you're, you're in a fortunate position where because you know all these breweries, you can at least make the suggestion. A hundred percent. And um, at the end of the day, you know, craft beer is a human industry, and there's a lot of great humans in the industry. And I think it's just neat that we can all connect and brew beer together and. So for the there. most part, do they come to Alesmith or is Alesmith sending their people or is it like 50-50? It, it really depends. Um, like with the Telluride collab, for example, uh, they're coming out to the brewery and we're oh, brewing I, beer and we're sending it to Arizona and Colorado because that makes sense. I'd be like, I'd love to go to Telluride. You should be like, everybody wants to go there, take their trip, well, go skiing. They're, they're going to be coming when it's like really cold up there. So they're coming to the beach when it's like their coldest season and outside of their snowboarding trips, I'm sure they're excited to get to get to uh, some temperate weather. Uh, Goldwater. <laughs> Goldwater. because yes, everybody loves the beach in yeah. January, February. <laughs> I mean, it's, st- it's still better than walking through in knee-high snow, which a lot of those guys are up in the mountains. So. No matter how much you know about brewing, it's just like cooking. No matter how much I know about making pasta, somebody could show up and say, "Hey, try this. We, this is what I started doing." And you're like, "Oh my god, that's a great idea!" You can lo- you could learn so much from having another brewer there. And and the craft beer industry is just such a community. Um, you know, fostering and maintaining those those connections, those right. those relationships, I think, are some of the best part of the industry. It's also a great reason to drink beers with your friends at seven a.m. A hundred percent. Also, it's, it's an excuse. Six. Six. Yeah. It, it's an yeah. excuse for me to uh, to take a trip out to San Diego and and meet with whoever's coming to collab with us. Uh, but for like Coldwater next year, uh, we're probably gonna have them come out and do a brew with us, and then which will be sold to Arizona. Uh, it's like sold across Arizona, and then we're going to come and do a collab with them at Goldwater that they will sell in their tap rooms. Um, so it's really just situational, depending on you know what works, what makes sense, what everybody wants to do. But ultimately, we just whenever we collab, the main focus is just to make delicious beer that people are excited about, that we are excited to drink ourselves, and that um, we're, we're proud to get out there. Remember, uh, Goldwater had done a collab with Pizza Port. And the guys from Goldwater went out there uh-huh. and brewed a West Coast. And then the guys from Pizza Port came out here and brewed the Hazy with them. One was called Valley to the Cali, or one was called like Cali to Valley. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. I remember that release, and they were both delicious. Yeah. And actually, that was really clever because, at least in Arizona, I've not seen a collab done that way before where they did a, a Hazy, like a filtered, non-filtered version. I thought that was really neat. I thought it was really clever. And... At the risk of being a copycat, uh, we might be doing something similar with Goldwater if uh, if it works out. Honestly, it's one of those things where it, you get a cool, unique perspective of, especially in this, and the beer industry gets to collab with people. You really don't see that anywhere else. I mean, you definitely don't see it in distilling. And no. then wine-wise... People are anti that. Like, you can actually get hated on for doing that. Yeah, shit, right? which, which you thing. think would make the most amount of sense. Like, could you imagine if you had a region that's like, hey, we make the best Merlot in the world, and then this other region makes the best cabinet. We'll be like, all right, let's smash them together and make it's what so could be one of the best parts, but they fucking won't do it. It's so terroir-driven. Like, I'm actually shocked that we don't see more of that. I'm so glad you guys mentioned it. I'm shocked that we don't see more of that in the wine world because, like you said, John, it makes perfect sense. Uh, you could, like blend regions or styles or, or or whatever and because of how food friendly wine is like i just think it would lend its it would lend its way to to really fun 
pairings. And also, I don't know what the situation with beer is, but wine travels very well when it's in barrel. Like if you were in, let's say, let's just use Europe as the example, and these people make this amazing cab in the Bordeaux region, and they ship it to Cali, and Cali's like, well, we have this really good Merlot that will work with it, and they slam it together. Those barrels coming across in totes or whatever will survive just fine. I don't think you could ship a non-bottled product in a massive 250-gallon tote from Cali and Alesmith to Europe. So be like, hey, guys, we're making a Hefeweizen. Oh, cool, you made a whip beer. Let's slam them I together. Mean, <laughs> you you could, but it, you can't do it with anything that has a shelf life. And and there's a the most drank beers in the beer world, which are IPA, well, in the craft beer world, in the country at least, are IPAs. And you IPAs just typically don't travel that well, if I'm being honest, um, because... It's just so ironic to me because that's literally the point. There's so much preservative from, I mean, the, that, from the hops. It's, it's funny that it. you say that because originally, like, the original India Pale Ale was developed to be hardy and to transport across the, uh, I'm sorry, what's the name of the trade route? The Mediterranean, the East India Trading, East India Trading yeah. Company. Yeah. Um, that was kind of like the original purpose of the IPA, but the hops they were using, the alcohol content, all, all of the things were different. And I guarantee you there are. The IPAs we're drinking today taste a hell of a lot better than what they were shipping say, across the... <laughs> I think also the quality level was a little today more um, understood well, versus back then. If you're in India and you're a soldier and a beer showed up, you went, I don't give a fuck what, what it that tastes, tastes like. like. I'm drinking and, that. And that. That's really the crux of it, right? Like I think taste and like flavor profile is much more important today than it was a couple hundred years ago when, when, when beer was being shipped all around the, uh, the globe. Do you think, though, that is because people have been programmed more to um, see expiration dates on like, a, like for instance, a can, like you see a can and go, Hey, this thing is fresh up to 90 days. And, and I understand there's like a truth to that, but we've drank beers that have, you know, in theory expired a while ago and it really doesn't taste anything. I have wines that I know for a fact have gone bad on people because they left in a car or whatever. And they're like, oh, I still love it. It's delicious. But if I tell them, no, that's bad. Then they go, oh, well, shit, that's bad. I, I shouldn't have drank that. I mean, taste is subjective. Like It's so subjective, so that's that's a very layered question. But So who day, are we catering to? The the small fraction of people that can taste that difference in that 30 to 60, 90 days? Or well, that depends on what you're trying to be. It doesn't feel like the mass public. I think that's a, that's a very loaded and broad question, and it really depends. Like in the modern world, you know, are you trying to make a lot of money or are you trying to make a really good product? Because whether it's beer, wine, and spirits, you can take an artisanal or artistic approach or you could take a business approach and the end result will be wildly different. Um, if you want to make a ton of money, you have to cater to the common denominator, but that usually takes away all meaning and art of the product. Um, I think that actually nailed it. I think you nailed it right there with the art of the product. 100%. Like it's, it does take away from the art versus like, here's a printed Mona Lisa versus like the Mona Lisa itself. The, the wider audience that you need to reach, the more you need to dilute your product and that is just an unfortunate reality of art and business coexisting. It does make you wonder what Budweiser tastes like. When am I, it was am I getting too philosophical it? on our podcast? Yeah, man. <laughs> no, I almost just want to go back, though, real quick to we're talking about wine collabs versus beer collabs, too. Because if you get together with the Goldwater guys and you make a beer and it sucks, whatever, you dump it down the drain, you start again. Or you throw some different yeast in there and call it something different. There is a lot of breweries that will never dump beer down the drain. Yeah. <laughs> I'm confident we would. No, there's a brewery that I know here in town that has made I know multiple mistakes and they just do something different. They re-ferment it or add something to it, and it just becomes something else. <laughs> but in wine, you can't do that. You get a one chance a year to make your wine, and traditionally, 
you have your six week time period during harvest. You're busy as fuck. The last thing you're thinking about when you're trying to make your wine is, oh, let's get Tony up here to do a collab. And, and I, so when you're done with your harvest, during harvest, you know, these guys don't sleep for a month. You know, it's funny you actually mentioned that because I didn't even consider the the harvest because beer, especially if you're brewing something like an IPA, the turnaround time is literally three to four weeks. Wine is not really like that. You're basically growing. You basically have an entire year to, to grow, to harvest, to bottle, to vinify, all that stuff. I actually hadn't even considered that when, when discussing the, the wine collaborations. So I would... I'm not going to disagree, but subtly at the same time with the way these billion dollar companies and families are buying up, you could put wineries in parts of the world that you can get it twice a year. You can have a South American Argentinian Malbec. Cabernet and Malbec go hand in hand in some cases. So you can grow your Napa Valley Cab or your French Cab and then you could replace it with, you know, your Malbec from Argentina. But he is right. Like you get your once a year shot. So whatever you make, you make. Now... I guess you'd have to have such a fine, small product. Like, um, I don't know, if you take one barrel of this and one barrel of that. But you could sit around and blend. Like, you could sit there and be like, all right, cool, we're going to take 75% of this cab and blend it with 25% of this Merlot kind of a thing. It'd be an extraordinarily small batch. Like, we're talking a few hundred bottles in some cases. Which I think goes back to being artisanal versus business-oriented, right? Because if you're spending that much time blending for such a small production item you're really not making money on it and true but i guess we could maybe maybe at some point see these massive whether it's conglomerate or family owned or whatever with the billions of dollars that could be like you know we can afford to lose a couple of these barrels in an attempt and if by the way if it goes bad who gives a shit we're going to dump it onto our club at three four five hundred bucks you do it's one thing about beer that damien nailed was uh you get to dump it if it's bad you get to dump it, and also you just get <laughs> unless so many... you're a certain <laughs> certain breweries on. <laughs> you also just get a lot more chances. I, I think that that's actually something. I'm glad you brought that up because I did not even for once consider that while we were originally discussing it. Um, do we need refills here? I could, yeah. I, I mean, I already called the bartender to try. Oh, to get you oh, did you? Here. I was going to text him too. I, I like, did. Hey, I was, I was seeing if they're going to show up or not. I was trying to like surprise you guys. Is but... it really improper of me to, to request a bathroom break? Or <laughs> yes. Okay. No, you yeah. sit there and you think about peeing yeah. yourself. All right, peanut butter. Ah, here comes our beers. <laughs> oh, look at that. I was trying to surprise you guys. You guys, guys really only hire the best. <laughs> yeah. No, this is the best thing about this. Oh, he can't get in. Damon, you got to get the door. This is the best thing He's about having a, a, a podcasting studio in a bar is <laughs> Connor. <the> bartender. <laughs> yeah. Connor walking in over here, dropping off beer for some reason. What, what did you What did you bring us, Connor? Oh, it's the same things. Oh, thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Can you take a piss for NS2? <laughs> <laughs> this is the, yeah, this is the collaboration. <laughs> NS, if, <laughs> NS, if you got to go pee, go pee. John and I will talk about you while you're gone. All right, we got a couple minutes to really talk some shit. That, that, that's a box of wine there, buddy. So you know what? I And and for all of you listening, Ennis has easily been one of the most fantastic Should people. we introduce him now that he's like... Yeah, so Ennis here. Ennis uh, Zechit? 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 Is it a Z? It's a S-Z? It's like Z-C-I-C. Oh, it's so grossly European. Yeah. Eastern European. When we first met him... Uh, I felt really, really terrible because we used to call him Enos, and that is very wrong. It's Ennis. Yes. And uh, he's easily been one of the best people we've ever Hon had. Honestly, one of my favorite reps of all time. Uh, truly cares. Yeah. Uh, it's the best part about the industry is when you find somebody who loves the product and, it, like, loves coming in to talk with us. Like, you know, we're another bar to him, but he loves to be here. He's like, always willing to promote himself, promote his products, give people beers, take care of people. It's. I've always said we're in the people industry. It just so happens we have great beer and great wine. 
Yeah. And I think people forget that. They get so caught up in the fact that, oh, I'm with the best brewery. I'm with the best winery. And at the end of the day, it's all about the people business. You could have the best wine in the world, but if you're an asshole, people are going to be... They're not going to want to be with you. They're not going to want to like support your product. Yeah. You know, there's there's been many wineries that we've had friends that have joined their thousand dollar a year club, and after a year they're like, those guys are asses. I'm done. Yeah. And you know the other side to it is too, and it's no, this is not a shot at Alesmith. They have fantastic beers, but you know what? There's a lot of fantastic beer out there. Mm -hmm. But when you put somebody into that position, like an Ennis and like some of the other people we have met that they love the product, they want to talk about, and they want to hang out. You want to not just support the brewery. You want to support the people. And I think that is the beauty about this industry is when it comes down to it, a lot of the times the story for wine, the story is amazing. It's a big thing. You got to have a cool story and people want to do it. But in the end, it's still the person that you're buying from that's going to sell that to you. And if they're suck and they're robotic and they're like, yeah, here's this thing. We made it this time. The bricks were 22. It's like, cool, man. Now you better hope your product is so good. They're blown away by it because if it's just mediocre, I'm not fucking buying it. Yeah. But if that guy was fun, he made me laugh. I had a great time with him. I'm still going to buy the wine and you know have a good time with it. Or we've done tap takeovers where the people that were here barely talked to anybody in the room, barely said a word. We've had suppliers that have come in and they barely say anything to anybody else in the room where some suppliers, some reps come in and when we're busy, they'll start talking to the regulars at the bar. Yeah. And well, then he, before, then, Dennis here brought a dartboard to uh, play games with people. <laughs> you guys are going to have to kick me out tonight, just so you know. <laughs> But you know what? I will happily do that. Samantha's the, the, coming, and she might have to drive the me The guys at the bar saw him walk in and were like, is this stuff tapped yet? We want that. Yeah. They were so the guys on the corner? interested oh, in having, having uh, their beer or his beers because they saw him. They were like, are they tapped yet? Are they tapped yet? And he was giving me shit that he had to order somebody else's beer first because he wanted to support... This guy. Oh, yeah, I should have bought him around. And there's. Uh, yeah, no, text Connor. I'm going to text. I'll text this. Give, give him a. There's pint glasses with uh, stuff stuffed in him. Have him give But there's a lot of people that forget that. Like, we've packed this place full for tap takeovers before and had reps stand around and not do anything or talk to themselves or talk to their bosses or, you know. You know, luck, lucky for me, I, uh, you guys. <coughs> excuse me. You guys are essentially my neighborhood bar, so I actually know half the people are going to be here tonight. <laughs> you've, be no you've, you've built that yourself, though. You've come in here, you've got to know our regulars, and you've started a conversation with them. If there's somebody next to you you don't know, you'll you'll have a conversation with them. That's that's a magical talent. You can't necessarily teach somebody. No, but I, I do uh, actually attribute a lot of that to the shape of your bar, because <laughs> the horseshoe shape of your bar, I think, very much um, facilitates a very community vibe. Uh I live 20, depending on the traffic, 25, 30 minutes away. And I come here all the time because of the neighborhood atmosphere you guys have been able to cultivate here. And I think there's something really to be said about that. It is true. If you think about a straight long bar where everybody, 30 people are sitting in a row, if you're on chair one, there's not much of a chance of you starting a conversation with chair number 28. No, but if you're sitting in the corner at your horseshoe bar, you could talk to like literally 20 everybody. other people, yes. depending on what's going on. Yeah. And I mean, oh, speaking of, Sam just walked in. Oh. No, that's kind of the nice thing about this, too, is you have two guys who, you know, we're, we're very fortunate. We came from families that are like, hey, man, family's a big thing. You got to talk to everybody. You want communities, what matters. And then we got together to build this place and we did two things that make us not just beyond proud, the products we sell and everything. But like, do some of the funniest conversations I've had in the last few years have been at this bar. 
And it's been guests just going back and forth with each other, just talking to each other across by, and they've never met each other. Like we're we get to witness people's friendships being formed. I was and then like mention that, dude. We have you in here in our podcast studio talking about like this is what we love to do. I don't think I've ever seen so many uh, spontaneous friendships develop as I have in this place. Uh, it it really is, and you know, all kidding aside and all uh, all cheesiness aside, I think you guys should be absolutely proud. Yeah, thank you. I am. Yeah. <laughs> I am, not we are. Yeah. Yeah. I can't speak for him. E- egos <laughs> but egos get shut down real quick around here sometimes. <laughs> oh, hey, I'm having a good day. Well, let's ruin that for you. I'm very proud of what John has done here. <laughs> no, you guys... I uh, am very proud of what I've done around here. See? <laughs> as somebody, uh, not to keep harping on this, but as somebody who moved here literally less than two years ago um, to be able to find a place that felt like a home neighborhood bar, um, anybody can sell beer and wine... You know, you guys could have a, a mirror image of yourselves that sells the exact same products, but if the the atmosphere isn't there, um, that ultimately makes a difference. I think that is, I, you know, it's it's weird you said that. I totally forgot you're from Tucson. Not like obviously from Eastern Europe, yeah. but like I forgot you moved here from. Tucson. I lived in Tucson for 23 wonderful years. Holy I lo- shit! I love See? Mount Lemon. I love Tucson. Some of my favorite bars in the state are down there, um, but I found a lot of new favorites up here. That's what's crazy about honest, and I'm sure it it's a lot of industries like this, but like. Think about this like you come from a beer industry so you move here you're down in tucson you're working everything then you come to arizona to work for scout for a while you move around and all of a sudden you're an ailsmith and you're going around the country helping open up new products so beer is sending you around the usa constantly it is really cool and it's funny you mention that because i remember on my first trip out not back in august uh i went to kentucky and ohio uh, for the first time i uh, just actually got back from there and the beer scene out there especially even you know, I stayed on the river between Kentucky and Ohio, and I could literally go to either state in a matter of minutes. And the beer scenes were wildly different, even so close to each other, but wildly different from Arizona, wildly different from California, wildly different from from Colorado. And it was kind of really neat to see because I'd been, you know, to Illinois. I'd been to a couple different states. I've been to Tennessee, but never for work. And it kind of lets you look through a different lens when you when you're out there. And you see what people are drinking, and it's it's kind of neat to see the the difference and the just the different atmosphere. Like every state has its own drinking culture, almost, yeah. and uh, even states that are literally like butt up against each other. Every state has its own scene, its own drinking culture, its own local breweries, and it's been really, really. I've been very fortunate to be able to get to see um, at least a few of those. That's a cool kind of culture shock, I guess. Is the drinking scene of oh, yeah. whatever you go to. Because in my, as somebody who's never been to the, I don't know what you call it, because it's not Midwest, but, you know, Kentucky, Tennessee, yeah. that area. Ohio, yeah. I would imagine, if you're in Kentucky, Tennessee, that it's just like bourbon world, like cocktail world. It what, is. Like, that's their thing. You know what? Because coming crush. from Arizona, it's beer, and it's a little wine, but, dude, you're in Cali. It's fucking wine and beer world. Like, I genuinely don't see cocktails. We, that's much, the so. taint of America. Stop. <laughs> He's on his mission to it's, insult it, it, everybody. It, it, I'm it, telling it, you. East Coast, taint at West Coast. It's right in the middle. I thought the it's taint, taint of America was like oh, Alabama. Yeah. I thought it was Florida. <laughs> no, it's too, that's too far forward. It's got to be right in the middle. That's why. Well, in that case, it would literally be Alabama, Mississippi. Because no. the butthole is like Corpus Christi. And we all know what Florida is. Uh, also, one... Tucson's the taint of Arizona, so... <laughs> Uh, stop. <laughs> I thought it was Yuma. Oh, no. Oh, God, I actually no. shouldn't have said y- that. Yuma's the dingleberry of Arizona. <laughs> no, I think one of the, the things I noticed, like going to Ohio, I just got back from there. It was really cold. They drink a lot of stouts. So, like, we talk about, you know, 
what we ship all around the country and the world. And like, yes, in the southwest of the U.S., we drink a ton of like fresh IPAs and hazies. And on the East Coast, they drink a lot of hazies. Doubles hazies on the East Coast, big time. everything in between, they're still (coughs) drinking, you know, they're drinking kind of malt forward old school IPAs. And they're drinking a ton of stouts. Like they're drinking, you know, the Speedway Stout. They're drinking... uh, what is it? Whatever that Bell's Hop Slam is, uh, they're they're drinking kind of these big, bold beers because Rich, it's malty. thirty-five degrees in the middle of the day. <laughs> so that's interesting you say that though because it makes sense. Obviously, you know, Bourbon County coming out of Chicago yeah. or Illinois or whatever it is, and a lot of the bigger stouts up there. But you know, Alesmith San Diego has some of the biggest stouts. Uh, but when I think of like Germany, which would be frozen, I only think of Hefeweizens and light beers. Like I don't think stout at all from anywhere in Europe, if I was being honest. That's because the Germans drink from the time they wake up till the time they go to bed during winter. <laughs> uh, they, re- and, and, they rehydrate. And, and you cannot, um, you just can't do that if you're drinking a 14% so stout. So stout like a very uniquely American thing then? No, because... It's, it's, isn't it like also, I mean, there's, I mean... Part of the British Isles, they do. Yeah, no, I mean, but like I think of like Scotch ale, if I'm thinking of something, or like a well, like you, brown ales for sure. One of the like red ales. One of the the, the furthest. I was just That's about, true. I was yeah, just I about guess. to mention Guinness, like export stout, which is one of the you know the original, one of I mean, the oldest I, Irish stout is a type of beer. It 100 percent is. So is Russian true. Imperial, which uh, well, so yeah, Baltic Porter or Russian Imperial, same thing. Baltic Porter. <laughs> Um, no, but you look at like Guinness Export Stout, which was literally brewed to be hardy and to be shipped through all the trade routes. Um, that was kind of one of the lasting original uh, like stout brews. Um, it's just it it, and I apologize, but it just it, it's weird to me to think like all, every time I think of a Belgian beer, I can literally think of Belgian beers. Like I think of Chimay and I think of Duval and I think of those. But when I think of stouts or Russian Imperials or Baltic Porters. I can't think of one European beer that's beyond Guinness. I just like I I can't place anything. Everything I always think of is coming from a, a American brewery, and a lot in California, Denver, and in most cases like no, Iowa. But but you think about things like Belgian quads, Belgian triples, like. But I think of Belgium. Like I can think yeah. of the country. Well, I mean, and I think of. There's a like, reason those that long you know flugeln blurgeln blurdenderdens. <laughs> There's a reason that a lot of the beer standards are still based off of some Belgian beer standards because they were kind of the pioneers of not necessarily craft, but more technically than, right. Mo- more than just the four original ingredients of beer. Um, so it, it kind of makes sense that just like we, you know, we look to France for for quality standards when it comes to the wine world. We look to the old world. We look to Italy and France. Um, it's kind of the same way that we look to Belgium in the beer world. That's fair. That's kind of the, the comparison I would make. Um, I do love that we take the stouts that we have, and Damien and I joke about all the time, it's hard to find a stout-flavored stout or a porter-flavored porter because porter, <laughs> everybody we, wants to throw something so cool. The barrel-aged stuff is really fun, yeah. absolutely. But sometimes people want that 5-6% stout <laughs> instead yeah. of the 12% bourbon-aged, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah, no, I... And, Sometimes people even just want a, a pastry and a beer, yeah. um, which, you know, it, it's kind of you're, you're bordering that line of like, is this really even a stout anymore? It is uniquely American as, hey, this thing is nostalgia I want from a, a donut. Green. Yeah, a I want a donut. Yeah. That's what I was going to say that. I was going to be like, it reminds me of this donut I had back in the day. It, it's, it's a balancing act for sure. But um, I don't know. Actually, cookies I, and cream was a good one. I, I have a, I, an idea that I have not pitched yet to Ailsmith, but I want to make a baby version of Speedway. 
and I want to call it Short Track because Speedway Stout. There it is. There's the million idea, <laughs> million dollar idea on spilling the truth. Um, Once again, we've got actually one. Damien inspired this idea. Yeah, we were talking about. It. There was another name we came up to. Like it was a Short Track is my favorite, so yeah. that's what I'm running with. Uh, a this, Formula Three. No, no, because we're in America and Speedways are traditionally oval racing, like the big super speedways, like uh, Dragster, the, the, the Indy 500. The, the Although Dragster would be high octane. No, 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 no. Like the big, like big super speedways and oval racing, like the Indy 500, yeah. uh, Talladega or whatever the, the big giant tracks are. And then you also have these like really baby tracks that are like really technical and really just not, they're, they're half the size of these big super speedways. So making a baby version of speedway and calling it short track. So, so I don't know if it'll work. Like quarter, quarter mile style. The, <laughs> A little bit quarter mile at a time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, uh, if the Brewers ever hear this, they might hate me for <laughs> for talking about this before I pitch it internally. But um, I guess that's why this is called spilling the truth, right? Right. That's what. Yeah. <laughs> listen, that's where we get to. You guys get me on beer number two, three, two, uh, and I start. I swear talk, it's your first talk, one. It's talking a, internals. It's your first one. I swear. Yeah. Hey, listen, it's we're gonna uh, edit that first part out, right? Where I say it's number two or three. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> So you did we'll say that. that if I buy two kegs, you're gonna give us a third for free next order, right? You know, I heard that Damien, if we go I can get to California, for you saying things like that. <laughs> I heard that if we went out to Cali and collaborated with them, we get all of it. Yeah, you should have a a Led Zeppelin button that just plays "Going to California" right when you <laughs> going. To yeah, it's like, it'd be Tupac now. God damn it, you guys shouldn't have fed me so many. But, but, but part of doing this podcast, we always invent something every time we do it, anyways. So a "Going to California" button. The idea. I'm sure you have a lot of podcasts out here where the the, the vineyard is based out of California. The brewery is based out of California. You should have a button that you can hit that just plays one little part of Led Zeppelin's going to California. I mean, it's 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 definitely something I don't want to pay for. And for it's not the button. It's the royalties. Hello, Cool J. Yeah. Go, going back to Cali. There's not enough people listening here for you to pay wow. royalties. I could sing two bars <laughs> going, kidding. going, back, back. I can't say anymore. I might have to pay for it. <laughs> All that we get demonetized because of this. Yeah, all that zero dollars. <laughs> God dang it! Oh, you guys are awesome. Dude, that's like, no, that's like, that's why we we genuinely love doing this. Is because in the end, you know, the vast majority of everybody that'll sit at our bar, they know you. Like, they hang out with you. They like to talk to you. They want to support you. And it's the same thing with like a lot of our other people that come in. They go, oh shit, he's with so and so. I want to do that. But like when you get in here, it's like, all right, let me tell like some fun stories about some nonsense going on. I think that just goes back to the uh, neighborhood atmosphere that you guys are, are facilitating in yeah. this in this place. But we were kind of talking about it while you were off um, checking Reddit over there. Um, <laughs> is that uh, something like Alesmith, you know? We had a chance to buy Ailsmith for over a year. We never once bought it. Now we are very big supporters of it. And a lot of that's because of you and what you've done to help build this brand You've and grow this brand. I no, it's forgot true. about that. I I remember her. I, I genuinely actually remember that because I forgot it wasn't even under Scout. It was a yeah, different under distributor. Crescent, yeah. yeah, we were under a different. I'm not going to say the name. The, the distributor once sent me a text that said she got in Mexican... Speedway cocaine or Mex <laughs> Mexican? It was it was it was, it was a bad typo. It. Speedway. No, it, it was, was a, it was, was Mexi typo. Mexican cocaine Speedway. <laughs> yeah, and it was her autocorrect because she meant to type Mexican chocolate Speedway, and it and came it, as Mexican it cocaine. Came as cocaine. Speed, like, Mexican, damn, right? I was like, man, that's hilarious. Yeah. I might actually support this brand. <laughs> Why is everybody at our bar constantly drinking way more and talking to everybody? Why does this case cost twice as much as the previous releases? Yeah. Why are there people outside asking for more money than we actually originally? But that was probably one of the only real offerings I ever got there for the first year we were open. and Which is sad because we make, and I don't mean to sound conceited, but I 
came to work for the brewery because I truly believe that they make great beer and the culture is great. And the owners, Peter and Ricky, really truly do stand for something. Like a lot of them, most of the money we make literally just goes back to all the charities that we run. Um, but it's it's nice that the beer is really good. Okay, so a couple quick things. How many tasting rooms do you guys have? We have just one. We have... Uh, San Diego? Uh, it's in San Diego. It's right in Miramar, right across from the big big military base right there. Right there in Biramar. It's, it's <laughs> Biramar. It is uh, a block away from our original single commercial unit tap room. Um, we are... This may sound a little silly, but we are officially now the largest air-conditioned tap room in San Diego, which sounds silly until you realize that there's been a giant heat wave in San Diego and it's actually kind of uh, quite uh, actually yeah <laughs> yeah when we were in I was just funny you mentioned that uh yeah when we were in Napa a lot of places had to shut down because none of them have AC because they've never needed it was it 109 degrees when we landed in Napa 116 it was 116 yep. so there's been a, a crazy heat wave and it's funny and again this goes back to Peter and Vicky who I absolutely adore they're forward thinking they built a giant uh facility even though we aren't even brewing capacity at this point um they put in air conditioning when San Diego really had no need for for air conditioning, and it's all uh, it's all really ended up working out. So, do you guys have a beer club for your uh, special releases, or is that a we have? List? Uh, God, I'm so sorry. The name escapes me at the moment. We do have um, Order of the Anvil. That is it. That is basically our our exclusive that membership club. Sounds so culty. <laughs> um, I want to be a part. Of, do you get like cloaks that you get to wear going you, to a basement? You do not get cloaks, but you Chant. do get access. You can basically get first dibs on. It's like a yearly membership. You get first dibs on all of the uh, Order of the Anvil releases, which some of the beers that you guys have on tonight were originally Order of the Anvil releases. Order of the um, Anvil sounds like something like a group of Stanford it, it, collegiate people. Oh, it sounds do. like I, I have to it. like follow a map to get to, to find like a version of the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, we, you have to just, like <laughs> strip down and be like, I choose to be a part I of the Speedway Stouts. I don't know if you guys saw the swag I have on the table over there, but there is like my favorite sticker that we make is just, it doesn't even the have, anvil. doesn't even have the logo, like the logo, like doesn't even say Ailsmith. It just is the red and black anvil. And I think it's like, the sickest looking sticker we made. Somebody has that tattooed somewhere and they have to like hold up their hand, show it, wave it in a UV light and a door opens behind so, a building somewhere. I don't have any tattoos, but I was at a wedding out in California recently and they almost convinced me. They actually did convince me to get a tattoo. Uh, let's get a tattoo. No, they convinced me, but every no tattoo shop wanted to tattoo eight drunken people at yeah. <laughs> four o'clock on a Friday feel good either. And uh, I don't know if an anvil on the small of your back is going to look that good. No, no, no. The wiener dog is going on the small of my back to signify right. my <laughs> dog's... <laughs> I'm so glad I just got John to fucking crack up. <laughs> Sorry for cursing. That's going to be... If you get a tramp stamp I got, of I a wiener got, dog I'm a, I'm a across your tongue... I just uh, got Jonathan to break character. No, <laughs> the anvil is going to go somewhere else. The wiener dog is going <laughs> in the tramp stamp location. <laughs> Okay, so I want, uh, <laughs> you broke them. No, it fucks up because I visually so pictured it, and now I hate myself. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, I'll send you a picture. Um, so, Ale Smith also produces beer for the San Diego Padres. So, for we the stadium, a, we have a partnership with the Padres and with the Tony Gwynn Foundation. Um, the three nine four Pale Ale, in particular, uh, a portion of the proceeds uh, actually get donated back to the Tony Gwynn Foundation, which helps to serve which helps underserved families uh, and underprivileged families. Um, also, we have a Tony Gwynn Museum 
at our brewery. Uh, if anybody comes and visits, <laughs> I'm guessing please, they really like the Padres. Please, please. We just we've had a long long standing partnership that has given a lot back to the community, both locally and across California. And um, we're we're constantly working to to kind of give back to as many communities as we can. Um, one of the one of the charities that we actually have is the Lost Boys and I'm probably digressing here, but. Uh, the Lost Boys and Girls of South Sudan, which is, if you guys aren't familiar with the story, uh, there was a bunch of children that had to essentially walk um, hundreds of miles to escape um, so, some real atrocities. And uh, one of the charities that we have set up helped to move them to the U.S. Uh, a number of them had jobs at the brewery uh, while they got kind of educated and, and placed into into other. Dude, that's really cool. <laughs> it is. And you know what? Um I know we've done a lot of joking around here today, but as somebody who's a refugee myself and who's really relied on on people here to uh, on on their kindness, um, one of the reasons that I really wanted to work for Ale Smith is that some of these programs that that Vicky in particular um, has really kind of taken upon herself really resonated with me as somebody who was a war refugee and immigrant. Um, I think what they're doing is what well, I should say what we're doing. I should be proud of that uh, is really there's really something to be said for it and uh i think it's something that we can really be proud of that's great that's yeah awesome. dude, i didn't even know that and I, yeah. like, damn it, i want to have even more i know a little honestly, bit about the tony gwen but i didn't realize how yeah. the extent of that i didn't realize all the other charity events they were associated with honestly we, so we, we definitely hear like there's one big thing for me and damien as well is you know we're putting this the best thing to do is you know, you want to obviously make your money, do your thing. But as long as you constantly keep pumping down into like, we got to help like our local community out and do things. It makes the world a better place and it's fun. You guys are so a community establishment. Yeah. So I, I would imagine you guys can absolutely relate because I, I've seen it firsthand here. Yeah. And especially somebody who literally came from someplace that, you know, you're a war-torn country, man. Your, your, your homeland doesn't exist. So now you are who you are. And now you came to America and do all this and you get to work for somebody that helps run charities and bring this money in and actually not just put their money with their mouth is but actually dedicate time and energy to bringing somebody in to train them help them out do whatever that's absolutely fantastic 100 percent. and whenever my whenever i do my because of course we all we're in sales we have to do sales pitches i always obviously lean on the quality of the brewery but um i always take every opportunity i can to call out uh the the great things that that peter and vicky are, are, are really getting behind because um they're really putting their their money where their mouth is that's awesome, man. That's a that's that is, I, for you is also something that I could imagine as well as I would believe is, you know, now you genuinely not just believe in a product, but you believe in the people. I mean, it's it's great that I love the beer, but uh, I it, it helps. It I, helps. It makes some good beer. But if they but, had some <laughs> shit beer, and you had to be like, damn, I'm gonna I, sell I, this. I, even even if it made shit beer, I still might be working here. But uh, no, it, <laughs> it, it helps that the beer is phenomenal and a good. You know, obviously we have to pay the employees and and the overhead and everything. But realistically, the the money that we make really is what's funding these programs. Like just recently, we did a pushing for positivity event, and uh, we we you know we shuttled in a, a lot of kids from underprivileged neighborhoods and families, and we hired a put them to work. Yeah. <laughs> make yeah, <laughs> clean Damien again on, on his mission <laughs> to offend everybody. Uh, no, we we. We we had um, clean those barrels out. We, we had some we had some kids into the brewery. We set up a skate park in our barrel. Is that legal? <laughs> we set up a skate park in in our barrel room. Which That's is, the most California which is awesome. thing I think I've heard. We <laughs> set no, up a skate park a in skate our park. brewery. We had a bunch of professional skaters come in. We donated yep, yep. A, t- a ton of skateboards. We we you know everybody ate avocados. We we, we bust in 
kids from all over the all over California from underprivileged neighborhoods and families and you know gave them an a, a lesson on skateboarding we gave them equipment and we just we the whole event was called pushing for positivity and it's funny. that's kind of cool I like I, that I pushing hate to, I hate to be cliche but like not only am I an immigrant and and you know the the message of Ale Smith resonates with me but also uh skateboarding did absolutely impact the the course of my life so it's just funny that a lot of the causes that uh, it is rare <laughs> when somebody else gives me um, vertigo feelings, but watching your videos of you bombing down a mountain yeah. on a when skateboard you said that definitely skateboarding does that. Influenced yourself? It, did it like reconstruct your face? No, and, uh, <laughs> partially. <laughs> no, no, there was no reconstruct reconstructive surgery, but um, no, uh, skateboarding absolutely changed the course of my life, and the fact that not only are, are we involved with refugee programs and all these uh, great charities, but we also have a skateboarding related charity and and partnership and uh it, it really it just feels like it was meant to be uh when it came to me working for Ale smith oh you're you're a great fit i mean that's probably the Thank best you. thing that company could have done was hire you oh you guys are, you guys are honestly way too kind i was kind of nervous coming on the podcast <laughs> no dude honestly, knowing this... jonathan's editing skills <laughs> no yeah we got this guy. uh no there's a lot of truth in what damien and i have, have said and you know, I know Damien's a good friend, but he brings up a lot of fantastic points. Is it's sometimes it's not just the product, it's the people in your company that make the product as well. And so when you go out there and you're like, all right, we've got this charity and we have this, you know, like the beer is a huge thing, obviously. It's got to be good. And it is. Now, great. Now we can put some awesome people around. We can do some charities. And now we can actually take care of communities. It just wants, it makes me want to do more for them. We're very lucky. We're at least in the ability to be like pick and choose who we have in the shop and whatever. When it comes to the wine, him and I know the stories. We know the wine. We drink it all. But like for the beer and stuff, it's like, okay, well, these guys take care of the neighborhood. We like this, and the product's good, and you're here, and we want to support you as well as the company. So it's like, all right, this is fantastic. And then, you know, whoever comes in tonight, which is probably going to be a lot of people, they get to <laughs> know so you a little bit better. And they'll listen to this a week later and be like, holy shit, I had no idea. <laughs> Yeah. So now when they see you, they can buy you a drink because, you know, cheers to what's left of your country at this point. <laughs> Stop. I'm usually the <laughs> one buying drinks. That is, that's true. That's true. Um, no, you guys are, are awesome. And, and I love the community approach you guys have taken to to opening this place during a really rough part of a really rough the world, a really rough part of the world, a really rough era and time to to open a business, especially a on-premise business first uh, pandemics in the last yeah. how many hundreds of i mean years. honestly ennis i know we've joked about how much we like you know my man but you're a subtle part of that dude you were here pouring beers for people talking it up to people pouring good stuff yeah cheers buddy it's a lot but it is it's true it's the the community makes everybody strong you have to build a big foundation john drink yeah you actually it's in bosnia it's very offensive if you cheers me i legit i'll cheers i will go key or tesla outside right now i've been calling him out on this for years brandon texted me said he pooped on my tesla so yeah but it is true man like the community is the community it's not just me and damien behind this bar it's everybody at the bar it's you behind the bar like there's this is gonna be fun. There's also twelve thousand breweries in America. You know, we got to pick the best. You uh, know, thirty-three thousand, according to our ratings. And also, we are currently ranked number six right. out of ten. Uh, <laughs> can, can, I would like for Damien and I to come to San Diego and visit the super secret awesome culty room. You guys aren't coming to San Diego. You guys are gonna go to San Diego with me. Gross. And <laughs> uh, we are gonna. So there is a speakeasy where the. Shh. Shut up. <laughs> I don't want everybody to know about this. No, no, I want everybody to know because it's really cool. Um, where we serve exclusively barrel aged stouts. The bartenders wear 
old school leather aprons. The the vibe is very dimly lit. And the very... passcode is Ennis the Menace. <laughs> I'm pretty sure nobody that's listening here can actually spell Ennis. So that's a moot so point. I always like to ask random questions like when we do these podcasts. This is a really simple one, though. Do you remember the first beer you ever had? The first beer I ever had? That you consumed. The one you stole from your parents? The first beer I ever had. I, will, I actually do. I 100% remember. And it was... Um, we were at a bar in Germany, which is where I lived for about five years. Uh, I was nine years old. Do not. <laughs> hey, this is very that's, European. Oh yeah, I, that's no, the no, beauty about I, it. No, no, you guys, you guys will appreciate the story. And my dad got this. It was this gorgeous glass, and it was like it was very carbonated. The head was perfect, and it it looked even to nine year old me who did not have any taste for beer. I was like, that looks like a very appetizing drink. And I remember asking my dad. I was like, dude, that looks really good. And he's like, we'll have some. And I had a little sip and it was the worst tasting thing I've ever had in my life at that point. And you know what? I did not have a, I did not have the urge to drink beer again for a very long time. Um, which brings me to the next point. The fact that the like drinking age here is yeah. so high is crazy to me. <laughs> True. Yeah. My, uh, it's like, it's kind of funny you say that. Cause my dad, the, when he built this massive bar in our house, he gave me a really gross, gross shot of liquor and I think it turned me off so hard that I never want to have again. I was like, that was brilliant. Like yes, I look back and I'm like, God, that's brilliant. He did that on purpose. Yes. Because he knew if I had the grossest thing possible, I won't sneak behind the bar and take a Dude, shit. Dude, if somebody had given me Malort when I was like 13, <laughs> I would have never drank alcohol again for the rest of my life. Yep. I was about 14. I stole a PBR out of the fridge. I went down to my room and I'm like, well, I'm going to try this. I took one sip of it and dumped it down the drain. Yep. I was like, this is disgusting. A, a lot of people have given me very judgy looks when I tell that story about my dad giving me a beer at yeah. nine years old. But you know what? I'm I'm of the opinion that if you, one, he was smart to introduce me to it when he knew my taste buds weren't anywhere near ready for it because it turned me off of it for a very long time. And the fact that he took away the taboo of it made, like... My parents did that. My, yeah. my mom and my mom and it's grandpa used European to give me thing. the slightest little amount of wine. And to me, it was always this... It's, this is going to sound weird for anybody who's never smoked weed before, but that first hit of weed is disgusting, and it kind of turns you off from a little bit. But wine was the same way. Like, that taste that's, is that's most so acquired fucking taste. appalling. My, yeah. my first cigar, my first bite of sushi. See, the, the cigars my, were tough, though, because my, my first, first cigar French in high school Pino? was a Swisher Sweet, and it was sugary. That's not a real cigar. And it tastes like strawberries. Yeah, but it didn't matter. It made one My too. first French Pinot... It's gross. It tastes was, like cabbage and boiled it, it, No, meat. it tasted just like I had, like, a pile of like dusty like really thin dirt in my mouth and by the time we finished that bottle i wanted more and it turns out it's one of the most expensive bottles of wine you yeah. could buy but yeah i mean like it's it's so weird you get you have an option it's got to be fun as an adult and i don't have kids damien has kids you don't have kids i like, don't plan on having any i mean I, i'm in that same boat where i kind of a, but it's like i i imagine where if you have the right adult be like this is i don't want you drinking at 18 but I don't want to give you something that makes you go, I want more. Like, if you gave somebody a fucking Alesmith stout at 10, sorry, Alesmith, but it's so good, it tastes like candy sometimes. No. You might ruin a lot of 12 but to 15-year-olds. I had a freaking Heineken at 9, 10 years old, and it was this... My, mine was Rolling Rock. Uh, Natty Ice and Rolling Rock were the thing. And if you had Rolling Rock I at a party... I have a story about was, Rolling Rock crazy. if we have time later. But my, my, I think my whole point is that if you take away the taboo and you introduce people to it early... You, you you will have much better results. You know what's funny? That still applies today as an adult. 100%. Damien and I will have people who come in and be like, ah, dude, I have no fucking knowledge of beer. I'm stupid. I like Corona. I'm like, dude, that's cool, man. I've got this Mexican lager from whoever on or this Pilsner from so-and-so. And they try it and they're like, they love it. shit. Then they're like, this is really good. 
Samantha, Samantha's younger sister originally. This is actually Samantha's his better half. Samantha's my better half, my partner. She keeps she, him in line. But if you're half of it, are you not equal? Like, See, there's a better like three quarters. No, she's like six percent. My better half. Yeah, right. That's fair. My better more than half. Uh, no, we. She had a really fun experiment with her sister. Experiment with her sister who is college aged, and she originally only liked Moscato, like sweet red wine. And well, dra- that's not Moscato, but <laughs> I'm sorry, sweet white wine. Wow. Yeah, there you sweet, go. Sweet, sweet <laughs> fucking wine. You had a 50 50 chance. I'm a beer guy. I don't know. I've actually made that mistake in here multiple times. Getting the, getting the color of the grape wrong. Whatever. You guys know what I mean. She really liked really sweet wine. And over the course of like a year, she got her from drinking sweet, like crappy Moscato to drinking nice wines. And the last time that her younger sister had like a Moscato that she loved a year ago, she hated it. And I think it just goes to show that like palates evolve and they change and they're super dynamic. And not only will they grow with, with age and time, but they also grow with like what you're exposed to. And um, it was just really fun to see her going from like drinking the worst wine I've ever tasted to like drinking, like actually appreciating nice wine. Yeah. So I stole that beer from my father at whatever, 14, past Blue Ribbon, dumped down the drain. I turned 16. My father comes to me and goes, boy. I'm going to tell you the same thing my dad told me when I turned 16. There's beer in the fridge. You can just help yourself. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, that sucks. That shit's gross. <laughs> like, the worst present I, I wanted. A, you know what I wanted? I wanted a fucking Nintendo. I didn't want beer in my dad's fridge. That's, but looking back, yeah. looking back, I'm like, that was really cool that he did that. That's yeah. actually one of those things like, okay, I trust you. Don't be dumb. Don't go do this. If you want a beer in the house, have a beer in the house. You want you, two? You can two. Can't drive in the car. Can't the go taboo. here. Can't do this. Exactly. So when I got to college, I didn't go out of control. I was like, my friends are like, oh, I got beer. I'm like, I know. It was in my fridge. I could drink it when I grew up. We're yeah, up. dude, that's a, such a perfect example because you did nail it. And I think your parents I are... never wanted to do a keg stand. I didn't care. I wasn't trying I to should, get out of I, control. Yeah. I never went balls out crazy on that stuff because my parents... Dude, they, it was always you saw, You've yeah. seen pictures of the... My old dad, I'm not kidding when I say, dude, we had a bar. We had an Irish pub in our house mm-hmm. we had 180 bottles of liquor multiple taps Stop, all the did you really dude i'll show you the it, pictures his we're father done. designed a house and he designed the bar before the rest of the house dude a four-car garage became I've met a your father bar. and i'm even more impressed with him yeah now. so it was this greened out i was it looked like a rule of bula kind of well it's not even around anymore shit well, anyways it was the hardest thing about having that bar was preventing my friends from drinking the booze so my dad would wouldn't yell at me because after he had me try it never did it again but when it came to like beer and stuff, dude, it's so weird. Damien was the one who showed me the first hazy IPA I ever had in my entire life. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like all my entire life, I've been drinking anything out of a green bottle. They mess this beer up. Yeah. <laughs> dude, because like I, I actually, to be fair, Damien fucked my liquor drinking up. He got me onto wine, got me onto beer. My dad got me onto liquor, but I ended up. You've had a lot of bad influences. Damien's a terrible influence. I I convinced him to open a bar, man. I've been fucking this dude's life up since since 2017. You know what the worst thing is? The more I think about it, Damien's literally had the worst influence in my life. Got me to drink wine, got me to drink beer, got me to open a bar. Damien, fuck you. I wanted to be lazy. You guys love this bar. I fucking love this bar. I looked at him one day. I was like, you fucking deal with all this. You bring all the people in, and now you're sitting here. My only question is, how does Sarah feel about your relationship with Damien? She got her to start eating meat again. David's yeah. a terrible influence. <laughs> yep. Sarah's like, I'm going to be vegetarian. And then he makes pork butt in the morning with green hatch chilies from Mexico. And she goes, I'm going to eat She's a vegetarian? Because she, she told was, me. She used to be. She was she a vegetarian. T- she was raving about your meatballs before you made them the other <laughs> I got night. That of- <laughs> Phrasing. <Giggity. laughs> she, she literally said, oh, you are in for a treat. 
And she said it like in a way that why, was like, why, why say it like that, bro? Because because the way she said it made me think that I was in for like. And honestly, usually when you overhype, Dude, some, are you saying no, no, like hold, Damien's? Hold on. hold on. Usually when you on. overhype something like that, it sets it up for failure. But I was not disappointed when I had the meatballs. Damien, everybody, you know what? Damien makes some good sweaty balls. Yeah. <laughs> I am very proud of the fact that I have. Con- Reconverted. Uh, you guys are doing your best to try to get me to spill beer. <laughs> yeah, twice. You almost, you almost lost it. Yeah, I've got a couple vegetarians I've brought back uh, to the dark side. God, please don't edit this. No, no. We've, we've only edited one thing ever out of any podcast ever. No. I don't. Two. A, a lot of likes from oh one God. of our friends. Love that guy. Girl. Oh no! But um, but um, that was one. I have not kept track of my ums or likes. No, don't worry. It's, it's been actually. I don't think I've heard you say a um or a like. That's because L- Lauren was a machine gun liker. <laughs> like, 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 like. So, like, we're gonna do like, 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 well, this is just the same conversation we would have on a normal Sunday. One hundred percent. We are really just, which is exactly this what we're is doing. this is the point. We are like, this the is truth. the beer. This is the beer. This is the wine. This is the liquor industry. Like this is what it is. But like the vast majority of people are super cool, really fun. You know, we, there's the stress levels you hit and whatnot. But like this is the fun of we, it. We had a, we had quite a large segment on FIFA though. <laughs> it's actually really nice though, learning more yeah, about well, Ale Smith as a brewery because there's actually a lot of stuff. As familiar as I am with what they do, it's nice to know that they're doing all this charity stuff. That you know the the vision for what they're doing is right for and and it sounds very cliche but like i genuinely believe that a lot of what we do to make the brewery money is reinvested in the, into the 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 causes that peter and vicky are but then yeah like so like so behind you're right because now we obviously buy the product and stuff but it also makes us want to keep it on yeah and it makes us want to keep pushing for it like we it's not just a good product but now i've got that little story like you know for tonight i could be like hey by the way you know like little fraction goes to charity hey they do these little help things by the way like it's, it's it there is where instead of hey here's our product this is it and you're like oh cool it's amazing whatever versus hey by the way you know every time you buy one of these beers not only are you getting a good beer but you're actually kind of helping out this little this little community here and you're helping out our people here and you're helping these little things and people feel they're kind of part of a family they're kind of part of this journey that ale smith is taking by helping the community by helping all these things they feel a part of it every time they buy a beer they'll sit at home drinking or playing beer pong or what the fuck ever and they're like oh by the way 10 cents of my money went to help somebody learn how to play or work or do something i always feel better drinking on a tuesday night when it means that uh, a portion of my money spent is going to help somebody you guys also it goes to your goat and ram eating probably <laughs> i'm really excited for goat and ram you, tonight, by the you way. guys also keep your price points at the right price point so people can consume your beer on a regular basis that it's not a special occasion like oh my god we're gonna splurge tonight to buy this six pack of party tricks it's a it's a price point in which you could buy it a tuesday and share beers with your friend and not care that just really goes back to again peter and vicky's forward thinking we're we're in a very fortunate position to have been around for a very long time um and to not have the overhead that a lot of these smaller breweries have and uh we just do our best to pass all that along because especially in the last couple years like times have been tough and it's nice it gets people to drink your beer more i mean we sell more beers that are sub 15 for a four pack than are over 20 for a four pack 
And when you hit that right price point, you just sell more. John and I made a pact when we opened this place up that we were going to be one of the more affordable places in town. And you guys are in Scottsdale, which is the crazy part. Yeah. <laughs> You're the base of it. Like, <laughs> speaking of the taint. I actually, um, I maybe shouldn't say this, but I, I, I've seen people look up your guys' pricing to figure out what they should charge uh, and, and kind of. I do the opposite. I, I, I look at other people's and I just go cheaper. <laughs> that's what i do i'm like oh, an honest quest to just piss people i'm just yeah kidding. oh oh the guy at the street's charging nine i'm charging 750 <laughs> <laughs> oh you guys have been great man um no seriously thank you so much for having us here um it's been great man honestly it's been fun chatting with you it's been absolutely amazing and i would say i give the i give a hard time to the people that i love and i know we give you a hard time sometimes it's just i don't know you've been really nice today you're one of our favorite people in the world you really are Hands down. <laughs> Should I be worried? Because you've been awfully nice today. No, nah, we get it. This is this is where the truth comes out. At the table and the bar, the lies and the terribleness. And the sun's out. going down. The sun's going down. But we are going to play some darts. Uh, we've got some good stuff to, go, to yeah. give away. And uh, we're going to have a great night. Yeah, Sp- speaking of busting in underage kids, your sales rep just showed up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, uh, his, official, his official nickname is my young buck. Yeah, totally. We love him. <laughs> on that note thanks everybody for listening to that uh, again we can, edit, we can edit that out right? nope nope that's staying in Ennis thank you man so much for being on uh, this has been amazing uh, so if you need to learn anything about Alesmith uh, check it out alesmith.com is probably that simple I'm yes. guessing website Instagram all that yep. go, go, go visit them Brinko. in San Diego yep. You could buy the beers in the San Diego Stadium, football too, or just baseball? Just the baseball stadium, uh, and then we're also at the San Diego State University. Uh, I know that because I saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and they had 394, and I was drinking all that. Yeah, so we're at at Petco Park, and we're also at the uh, SDSU, which is San Diego State University stadiums as well that's a they serve beer that, that's fantastic we have we have a sdsu ale go which is like sdsu i don't know what you are i'm assuming surfers. aztecs well that makes, no makes i've got total nothing. sense yeah total sense <laughs> thanks everybody we appreciate you listening thanks, guys thanks Edis, for being on love you guys yep take care bye. cheers bye cheers